Ryan, few health systems use the word loyalty. Uh, it's true. Even fewer uh, use that word in the boardroom or throughout the organization. Fewer yet have developed any sort of strategy to deploy or build out a loyalty program, which is why I'm very excited today to welcome our guest, Dr. Ed Rafalski from BayCare Health System, because he's one of the very few and one of, represents one of the very few organizations that has done all three. Right. We can count on one hand. So it's my pleasure to introduce Dr. Ed Rafalski uh, to the program. I'm going to have to shorten his bio because uh, he has so many certifications and, and letters behind his name, which is, which is terrific. But I, I do want to get you an idea of the scope of responsibilities that, that Dr. Rafalski has purview over. He's responsible for all of planning, business development, market research, marketing, web services, call center operations, government relations, public relations, and communications at Baker Health System, which is a, a very large 15-hospital health system uh, serving West Central Florida. So, Ed, first of all, welcome to Patient No Longer. Thank you, and my dogs agree uh, with that intro. It was brief, but to the point. <laughs> so, Ed, something that you know very well, Ryan and I talk about it all the time, we, we speak about it with other guests, and that is the notion that, at best, health systems know very little about their customer when they're not in an exam room or not directly receiving care. And that gap in knowledge makes it extremely difficult to understand motivations and behaviors of the consumer, of their family, uh, when, they're, when they're outside of, of our purview, outside of our site. So one thing that I know that is important to, to you and important to BayCare is a deeper understanding of the customer journey in its entirety. So maybe just let's open and talk about that for a second. How, how do you, how, how does BayCare Health define the customer journey? And what are some of the key points of insight that you use to be able to identify it? Yeah, and you know, I think I'll answer the question, layering another, another personal experience. So I had the pleasure of being a patient at BayCare two weeks ago tomorrow for an orthopedic procedure. So now I can answer your question, both from the strategy marketing point of view, but then also from the consumer point of view. So when we look at the consumer journey, um, it is more, more all encompassing than just the encounter in clinic or in, in the OR or in whatever clinical setting that we see them. And I think that's the distinction between consumer and patient. Um, I, my view is that they become, the, the consumer becomes the patient when they cross the threshold of the clinical setting and they're in someone's care. But I think outside of that threshold, it's a much more holistic thinking about them and what their needs and wants are. And that's where I say the consumer lives. They live outside of that door to the clinic or door to the OR, in my point of view. And in order to understand their needs and wants, you have to talk about what's important to them as opposed to what you think is important or what the diagnosis is. And, and in my own case, this is where I'll layer in the consumer point of view, you know, my, my procedure that I had about two weeks ago was elective and the journey I went through, and we all learn this in Marketing 101, when you contemplate, you research, then you make your decision, that whole experience occurs even before you have a conversation with a clinician. And so understanding the consumer's needs and wants, even before they make the decision to have an appointment, I think is critical to making sure they have their needs met and expectations met and have a great outcome. And if you do all of that, then you get a loyal customer. That, that to me is sort of the way in a holistic view, we all need to think about the journey. Um, so don't think about it as the, you know, the clinical encounter, think about it as what happens before the clinical encounter and certainly what happens after. 
Yes, that's an important distinction to make. So actually today we're going to be interviewing both of you. Uh, we're going to be interviewing uh, Ed, the consumer, and Dr. Afalski, the, the healthcare leader. So w one thing that we that we see all the time, we hear all the time, is there's a, well, there's a disconnect uh, between what a consumer would even say about their journey. I think all of us as healthcare consumers, we don't, I don't talk about um, the time that I broke my leg as this, this very thoughtful journey that I intentionally wanted to pursue and that I had, you know, goals and hopes and aspirations for the outcome. It's not, that's not the way that we think about it. The consumer says, uh, man, that time I broke my leg, right? And, and the bills that followed and the hassle that followed, maybe some of the great care experiences that were there from the, from the operator's perspective, from the provider's perspective, we have to break it down and think about, okay, what are the parts of the journey? So you, you mentioned there that, that the journey for, you know, as, as we would perceive it, uh, starts well before the individual ever has a care episode or even selects a provider. So you have oversight of that area. You have oversight of, of, of marketing and communications, those types of things. What, how are you, how are you, approaching this and trying to be the most effective in terms of understanding the wants, needs, expectations of consumers in in, in your region. Uh, when people are not trying to think about healthcare, they're not trying to think about starting their consumer journey. They're just trying to think about living their, you know, happy, healthy life. Yeah. I mean, so part, part, I'm going to keep it simple. Ask them. <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> you know you, you, we all presume that, that the consumer wants this or that. And you know, there, there's a recent example, um, and I can share it with you because it's not it's not out of school. We we uh, you know stood up in the pandemic a service where we bring uh, our clinical team to the home. So it's it's more than just um, uh, the the home care model. It's sort of one level above that. It's sort of in the hospital at home space, which is which is I think a, a nascent but blooming uh, part of the continuum now that the pandemic uh, has been going on for just about a year next month. And we were kicking around some names uh, for this particular service. And um, we landed on something that sounds like, you know, PCP to you or PCP at home. And, and we said to ourselves, you know, before we go to market, let's ask the consumer what they're expecting in this service. And so we did some research behind that. And we all remember the story about Nova when they tried to sell that car in Mexico when translated in Spanish, Nova means does not go. Well, when we tested PCP at home or PCP to you, do you guys have an idea of what you thought you think consumers may have thought that really was about? Any thoughts? You're my mini focus group of two. Well, I would think primary care physician. Right? I would but, too, but we're close but being to the around, yeah, Being too close to the space and some yeah some some people know that and but that's that's you know that's lingo inside the industry mm -hmm. people thought we were delivering drugs to the home which pcp <laughs> is a reference to you know drugs used uh, back when you and i and uh, the three of us were much smaller <laughs> and younger <laughs> uh, <laughs> so so what's what's interesting is that we'd have never never even known it didn't even occur to, occur to us it was like it was like we we said well, we better test this just to be sure and then we learned something now that's a really simple example, but it's if you if you take that example and step back and say, I'm des designing a journey for X Y Z service line, and we're going to come at it as providers and say, well, this is what what happens in that journey. You know, you you register, you do your pre-op, you do your lab work, you get your COVID test, you show up at clinic, you do your visit with your doctor, then they schedule your surgery, and then you go to surgery. And you, all those steps are pretty well defined. But there's a whole other path 
that's outside of that provider point of view in the journey. And it's in some ways, what we're talking about is the gaps between the clinical journey and the consumer journey, because the consumer journey is much more uh, deep and much more broad than just the clinical journey. And that, that, that to me is the sweet spot. And unless you ask the consumer and talk to them, what did you experience when you went through this journey? Because it's really, it's really almost a root cause analysis, if you remember that from, from Joint Commission surveying and process improvement, what, what broke down in that journey? What didn't work? Not to be critical, not to, not to say that we're bad at what we do, but when you can identify the gaps and fill in those gaps with the consumer experience, that's when you're going to have that holistic view of the journey and really get at loyalty. Because if you can, if you can impress the consumer in those gaps, they'll be loyal to you. And I think that's so fascinating, Ed. And I think the way that you say it is, is so clear and so compelling. And I think everybody wants to widen out their view. They all want to zoom out and say, let's look at the entire consumer journey. Of course, when we're working with clients, that's where we start. That's the theme of this podcast. I think one thing that gets in the way, and I'm curious to know, as you came in, you already had a vision. And we'll get to more about how that played out because it's such a great story. But as you came in and observed a lot of people in the industry and in your organization who wanted to do the journey of care, wanted to fulfill that along that path, but really struggled with it, what were the things that stood out to you? And, and I'm gonna give you one that we see, and you can imbue this with as much of your own as ex experience as you want. We hear people talk about the journey of care, use the word consumer, but then they get into patient experience, patient satisfaction, HCAPs. It's like a black hole that just swallows them in. And they get so worried about their dashboard and improving the patient experience that naturally these blinders come down. And for them, it becomes, I can't focus on anything that happens outside of the four walls of the hospital. I've got to figure out my numbers inside. So I suppose it's a two-parter. One, have you experienced that? And do you have ideas for how to combat that? And two, what are the other challenges that stand in the way of that wide view that we all wanna to get to of the consumer journey? Yeah, so I'm a big believer in managing what you measure. And, and unless you're measuring it, you're not managing it. That's just kind of like one of my biases. And so, you know, in our space, like many organizations, we have a balanced scorecard that we track certain KPIs for the entire organization. And there's an incentive program that's built around those KPIs. So there's complete alignment throughout the organization on what we want to focus on. One of the pillars in that balanced scorecard or sections is the consumer experience. And inside that pillar, there are two KPIs we're currently tracking. One is CAPS. So, you know, the reason we track that is because it, it is one of the true north measures that love it, like it, hate it, CMS thinks is important. And until they change their, their view on it, we have to sort of play that, play that, that card and play that game. So you got you to keep your eye on that ball. But we had another one, which is, you know, the consumer star rating. And the consumer star rating, as you know, is much broader than the HCAPS questionnaire. Uh, anyone can write anything about any experience at any time on any platform. And to me, that's a much more powerful and balanced view of what the consumer really thinks about your organization and the experience they're having. And, and the, the beauty of it, and that's why I'm focusing on these two KPIs as an example, it doesn't have to be these two, but you want, you want that balanced view of what, because healthcare is a very regulatory uh, heavy environment. You have to have a balanced view of what the regulators want you to be focusing on versus what you know as a business enterprise you should be focusing on. 
And that's the difference between a healthcare organization and you know, Joe's uh, muffler shop down the street, is that we have someone looking over our shoulder on everything that we do. And so you've got to fulfill your duty. Your fiduciary duty is a not-for-profit and in a for-profit world, keep your shareholders happy and make sure you're not tanking the consumer experience. But in our case, as a not-for-profit, we have a duty to make sure that we're meeting the expectations of CMS, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, and not running afoul of their, their desire to make healthcare better. And I think they have a role to play. But we have to run the enterprise too as a business. And the CMS measures are woefully inadequate to do that. They're good, but they don't go all the way they, where they need to go. And it's, you know, frankly, CAPS has been around, geez, since I started in healthcare almost 30 years ago. It's so yesterday's measure. I'm sorry, but it's, it's one of those things where we're doing it because we have to, but it is not reflective of the entire experience. Yeah, it, it's, it's interesting as we have more conversations about CAPS and, and the place of CAPS when you're trying to think about and define the, the customer experience in healthcare. It, it's not unimportant. As you mentioned, I, there, there's reimbursement dollars associated with it. The CMS star rating uh, certainly takes it into account. Uh, and, and we know that the intent was pure. It was about illuminating those experiences that are most important to a individual while receiving care. And so I, that's actually what I want to ask you about next. And, and in terms of what is most important to an individual along their care journey, we, we call these moments of truth all the time. Uh, and I would be interested from your perspective, if you break these down for us, uh, you've mentioned the gaps between moments of truth, and I think that they are going to persist and we'll get, we'll get better at tightening the gap. But if you take us from zero to finish on pick a consumer experience, maybe your own, if you, if you would like, uh, what are, what are the moments of truth in the consumer experience? Uh, and, and maybe answer that specific to Baycare. And, and Ryan, I'd love to get your thoughts on what you've heard uh, from maybe more of a national perspective. Well, and we'll back that out, but I'd love to hear, you know, so Ed, from your perspective at Baycare, and then, and then we'll look at how that's different in many ways from what's happened across the country. Yeah, so what's interesting in my case, and I'll, I'll lay some personal experience. So my journey began about eight years ago. So I was on a hike in Colorado, um, uh, not a 14er, but, but something close to it. It's a we were heading a, up a mountain, it was about 13,000 feet elevation. And these are hikes I do every year, and I've been doing them since I was out of school. And I just love doing it. And so about eight years ago, I did this hike, and I came down. You know, everything was fine. Got home and and felt this this tweak in my in, in one of my joints, and I kind of didn't really make much of it. I'm like, well, I'm just probably sore and probably just tweak the muscle or something. No big deal. But then it became chronic and just sort of wouldn't go away. Nothing major. Just kind of felt this little tweak, is the best way I can I can describe it. And so it, it didn't go away. So my wife's like, man, you need, you know, the wife's playing the critical role that they play with us gentlemen. Um, don't put it off. It's going to become worse. Go see the doctor. And that's classic, you know, marketing one-on-one behavior. Your wife makes you go to the doctor. And so I'm like, all right, so I'll go have a diagnosis. I got it diagnosed. And I, and it, what was interesting in that gap was, what am, and, I, and this was with an orthopod that I had the first visit with. And I said, so what are my options? He goes, well, you could do A, B, or C, but you're going to have to do C eventually, which is surgery. I'm like, okay, uh, when? He goes, well, I do it now. You know, and as an orthopod, they want to like get you in there and like do the surgery, right? I'm like, oh, that's, that's, that's fine. I'm going to go talk to my primary care doc and I'm going to go down my journey and have that conversation. I go, I go meet with my primary care doc later that spring. And uh, he says, uh, go lose some weight. 
and take some pressure off those joints. I'm like, okay, I'll do that. And I basically did and focused on that for the next probably six years. And, you know, progressively my, my condition got worse. And, and in that journey, you know, so my only encounters with the healthcare system were the one orthopedic visit and then my annual physical. And every year I would, I would bring up this issue with my PCP and he said, well, is it limiting your quality of life? Are you still able to do everything you're able to do? I'm like, yeah, he goes, go lose some more weight and, and I'll see you next year. And that was kind of the, the, the dialogue. Eventually I got to the point where I needed to do something and I saw a PT. And by the way, these three people don't talk to each other. And so in the consumer experience, this is where the disjointedness starts happening, which is the consumer is left to kind of figure it out for themselves. And I'm in the business and I've been in it for, you know, better part of 30 years. I had to do some work to figure this stuff out. So I go meet with the, PC, with the PT and we start doing what they do. And he said, yeah, you're, you're going to need surgery. And, and, and I said, well, when? He said, well, when you're at the point where you're just, you just can't do the basic things that you enjoy doing, you'll know. And it was like, it was sort of that, that was the aha moment. And I got to that point this year. And so I went ahead and pulled the trigger. But just in that, this is all, by the way, this is all pre-contemplative and contemplative process before the decision is made. And for me, that journey was an eight-year journey. Now, I can tell you, I know for a fact, there probably aren't many healthcare organizations anywhere that actually think about the journey from that point of view that far back and integrate the consumer needs and wants into the design of what the solution should be. I'm pretty sure that's the case. I'd love to be proven wrong, but that's sort of the state of affairs. And so to me, that's what we have to start thinking about and addressing. And it's, it's patient consumer specific and obviously disease specific. And Ed, when I hear you, I hear that story. It is so similar to stories that we've had and stories that we've heard about, you know, in our Market Insights Database National Survey of Consumers, not just patients, people who haven't been in the hospital for a while, won't be for a while. And we ask them about their preferences. We ask them about what they're going through in terms of healthcare. It is exactly like you mentioned. It's years in the making. I wish I could prove you wrong, but our data would prove you right. And we even mapped this out years ago. We kind of took a composite of, you know, all consumers across the country. This wasn't any one area or any one organization. It was sort of the proxy for that consumer, that average consumer in our entire database. And their journey is this long, not only in time, but in steps. And oftentimes going to the doctor was step six or seven. And I think a lot of physicians consider it to be step one. And this is where your journey starts. No way. This journey could be years in the making. There could have been self-diagnosis. There could have been using our favorite doctor who's available anytime, WebMD. There could have been consultation with your in-house healthcare professional, in your case, your wife. You know, there's several of these things. And then I've got to make time. I've got to take off work, find childcare, whatever it might be before I show up. And then, of course, it goes on even longer before there's perhaps a hospital visit, if there is one at all. And then one thing that really struck me is the amount of people who afterwards continue to have the healthcare experience of paying for that care and trying to get better, managing the process and the ailment, which is two separate things that we really heap on the shoulders of consumers. And I'm gonna turn it back around to Brian on this because actually I've listened to both of you together present on these topics and on loyalty. I think it was like loyalty, you've done it so much. It's I think you're on like loyalty 4.0, right? 5.0 version. Five, sorry, 5.0 updated. So, you know, we, we've heard this for years and we've studied it for years and tried to shift away from fee-for-service into loyalty. So I'm really curious whether it's Ed's journey or the journeys we hear about, 
What makes it so difficult to shorten that cycle and especially to capture that loyalty on the back end so next time around it's better? Well, it, it is. It comes down to a lack of understanding. So, so again, if I'm trying to navigate my my own healthcare experiences or, or those from my children, or helping a health system do it for their patient, right. it, it comes down to a couple of misconceptions. And one of them we've already talked about, and that that is like a complete reliance on a measure like caps, where you're only assessing what happened while someone was in a gown in an inpatient setting, and, and it it doesn't take into account any of the story that the Ed had just illuminated for us, right? Like the eight years back. Um, matter of fact, I didn't hear you mention the care at all once you're in, inside the room as we're sort of describing the moments of truth. We, we all sort of assume that to be very high quality, very safe, uh, assume the outcome to be optimal. Right. And, and so so that that's a limitation of health systems that that would look at their CAP scores and say, this is our patient experience and, and, and use that in a way that seems to be um, holistic uh, because we know that it's not. Right. And one of the other, yeah, I would say one of the other areas where I've seen the health system fall short for me uh, as a consumer, as a, as a parent of, of one receiving care, is that there's so many things that blindside us on, on the journey, right? So I, I, may, have, I may have preconceived um, fears, uh, maybe undiagnosed fears about an, yeah. about an experience or about an, uh, a procedure. I'm certainly always concerned for the health and well-being of my children, Right, and so if that goes undiagnosed or unaddressed, then that can create real barriers. Cost is a big one, right? Uh, how many how many zeros am I on the hook for as a consumer? Uh, that that's something that creates all all kinds of stress and anxiety. And areas that I think that health systems can lean in and and do better at, right? Just try to try to knock down a couple of these big blocks that we know exist. Now, Ed, you had actually shared with me off off camera about about that about about Baycare's approach to uh, being more transparent with regard to cost of services. We share about that. Yeah. So, so, you know, we have a federal requirement now. So the price transparency conversation started, you know, in earnest in DC. And so now as of the beginning of the year, we're all required to disclose that kind of data. But, but in our case, about three years ago, I participated in a, in an effort in our organization around price transparency, which is a consumer centric conversation in many ways. And so going back to our econ classes, we were discussing and analyzing uh, price sensitivity and elasticity for specific procedures and services, because some are elastic and some are inelastic. And so once we narrowed down those, those services, um, we began to build a superstructure to address consumer needs and wants around price. And you know, I'll be happy to report three years into it, before my procedure about, I would say it was probably a week before me going in, I got an email from our central pricing office saying, uh, we see you have a scheduled procedure, your out of pocket is gonna be X, and we stand behind this estimate. And, and that, was, that was actually, to be honest with you, as, as the chief strategy and marketing officer, just made me smile, because I knew we were working on this stuff, and I kind of knew it was in place, and I believed it worked. It actually worked on the consumer side, and I was just, I was just pleased about it. I was like, wow, the thing actually works. How cool is that? And 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 the other thing that 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 was really pleasant about um, that part of the journey is that is that it, it does actually you know you said it you know the financial health and the the physical health of the consumer I won't say they're equally important but you, we got to kind of treat them equally because if you have a great clinical outcome but but we screw up that financial experience 
that could go a long way to making someone not be loyal to your organization. And to me, you got to get both right. Um, and you got to get the third component, which you may consider, you know, spiritual or mental health. And in this time that we're in right now, you know, we kind of uh, probably don't spend enough time talking about, well, what kind of state of health mentally is the, is the consumer? Are they ready for this procedure? Can they, do they have the support structure at home uh, to be able to deal with it? Because I think, you know, when you think about it, you know, there's the clinical experience, but then postoperatively, do you have what you need to have a successful outcome? Because you could have a great surgery, but if you don't do all the things in the journey you're supposed to do postoperatively, things can go south really quickly. And we know that from multiple experiences in healthcare. So to me, you know, I was pleasant, pleasantly surprised in the price transparency effort we, we put forth and it actually works. That's, that's fun to see and that's, that's cool, frankly. And I encourage any organizations thinking about doing this kind of strategy, give it some good thought because I think this is something that A, we're gonna be required to do anyway. So you might as well go ahead and start the work. Um, but B, it, it does make your, it assuages your concerns. It's like, okay, I don't have to worry about that now. That's done. Now I can focus on my health. And that's a big deal. Yeah, that's great. I, I, I love that. I love the work that you're doing there. And at the open, uh, we could talk about moments of truth in the customer journey all day, and, and we do. But at the open, I mentioned that uh, very few health systems actually have deployed a program, a structure, a framework, and deployed it with regards specifically to to earning and retaining loyalists to the brand. And I want to I get to that. I'm going to spend a few minutes on that because this, this is something that is so unique to BayCare. Um, Ed and team have, have worked with worked tirelessly to create this program called Easy Pass. Now, maybe take a moment and, and talk to us about what Easy Pass is and and the parts of the health system that it is deployed currently. Ed. Yeah. So, in a in a nutshell, Easy Pass is our loyalty program for uh, consumers that that use our services that choose to opt in and become what I would refer to as a as a loyal loyal consumer of Baycare and a member of Baycare. So if I could if I could use that terminology, it's transitioning from being an intermittent uh, consumer or patient to becoming a member of the organization. Sort of a member in, in both the sense of family member, but also a member in terms of health plan strategy. So that that's really what it is. And, and the services that, that we're currently uh, offering and, and building out uh, uh, in the organization include uh, primary care. So we've actually gone to scale in our medical groups. So we have, I think at last count, something north of 7,000 members of our loyalty program inside the medical group. And that's in a, in a market, you know, this is still nascent. So we're still, you know, in the quote unquote early stages of this. Uh, but from what I read, you know, typically you get three to 5% of your population uh, enrolling in these types of programs from the little, you know, all industry loyalty strategy. So not everybody's gonna choose to do it. Um, and so we're, we're well into it in primary care. Uh, we've rolled it out in OB and we're gonna go to scale in OB and obstetrics is a really good area because the maternity experience is, is a nice use case and it's, it's sort of well-defined. And so we thought that was a good place to work and orthopedics is the one we're currently building. And so I'm gonna have some fun in ortho because I just went through it. So I'll be able to lend my two cents in terms of what I think we should do. So those are, those are the three sort of clinical areas and there are others that are coming uh, down, the, down the road as we, we go to broader scale. So that that's what we're doing, and in terms of uh, in terms of the successes, you know what we've seen in the program is that loyalists use us more efficiently and in the right ways, 
and are much more engaged uh, than non-loyalists. And that's important because if you're working on a health model where you're going after the premium dollar and it's in your best interest to keep the member healthy, which in our case it is, we just launched a Medicare Advantage plan three years ago. So this is closely aligned with that, that strategy. It's very important to have engaged members that are engaged in their health and staying healthy. Um, and in order to do that, you have to have a program, you have to have an approach to keep them engaged. And that's what this is about. It's so interesting because consumers want to be loyal. We know this as well. In our national studies, you know, just the stats I'm thinking of, Brian. So we, we've got four out of 10 consumers that say, I have no loyalties in healthcare. That's not to a doctor, not to a health system, not to anything. Then you have six and 10 who have some level of loyalty. And maybe it's just to their physician. Maybe it's just to the urgent care by their house. And they want to be more loyal because they too are seeking a path here where they've got more resources at their disposal, where they've got a familiar face, where they've got a path that they know how to navigate. So they're all in conceptually on loyalty. And we've presented this concept in many different forms to lots of healthcare marketers and leaders uh, across this country who are also on board. And yet we can count on one hand the organizations who've actually done something to Brian's point. And Ed, you'd be included in that. So tell us a little bit about the inception of Easy Pass when you were first going in, when you were selling the idea internally before it ever became reality, because I think that's where other leaders often get stopped and turned away. And, and they don't want to be turned away, but they're not able to deploy it in that successful fashion you've done. Yeah, so a couple of thoughts there. So we we began the internal sales pitch about three years ago-ish. And so we, you know, that, that process was about educating the C-suite on what this is. And I'll have to be honest, I didn't have full support in the C-suite. I mean, so um, there were certain members in leadership that thought it was a waste of time that, you know, the, one person actually said, this is a stupid idea from what I remember <laughs> in the presentation. Uh, but you have to, you know, you have to have a thick skin, particularly, I think, in the marketing and strategy roles. If you don't, you're in the wrong seat. And you have to have uh, a vision and a will to kind of overcome those barriers. So, so that was part of it is the fact that, you know, there was, there was some resistance, but, but, but not to the extent that someone said, well, don't try it. I mean, so, Culturally, you have to be an organization, and this usually starts with the CEO, where they're, they're willing to give you the opportunity to fail and fail fast. And if you're not in that kind of culture, where, and they're not giving you the opportunity to innovate and, and learn and, and, and you know, agree when something doesn't work and, and say, okay, that didn't work, let's move on. Or conversely, if something does work, fund it. Um, you have to have a culture that is that way. And so, you know, People in my seat just have to look at the organization, know their own culture to know whether they can do it. My guess is the ones that try and don't get, get anywhere is their culture is not ready for it. And that, that starts with the C-suite, ultimately the CEO. And I had my CEOs backing on this one. Yeah, I, it's, it's incredibly important. I, a, lot of, a lot of ideas die in the, in the boardroom, in the planning room, as we know. What's the old Drucker quote? Um, culture eats strategy for lunch, right? You can have amazing ideas and, and, and the culture will, will destroy that. So you've, sometimes you got to work at the cultural level to, to get some of these programs a chance. Yeah, of course. And, and we've obviously, we've seen success. I mean, now fast forward three years from, from that time in planning, uh, you've, you've been able to expand Easy Pass to additional service areas. Sounds like you're going to go full, you know, um, guns blazing in, into ortho, which, which is terrific. As the consumer now, as the member of, of Easy Pass, I, I'm curious about 
what are you know why do I opt in? What what are the what are the benefits? What are what are some of the engagement uh, engagements like between uh, between Baycare uh, between member? How are those engagements affecting my behavior uh, as a consumer and, and maybe becoming more adherent to care plans or, or at least being more communicative? Those types of things. Yeah. So so two things. One is the engagement level I said earlier is greater just sort of inherently with the member. And it's it's probably because, and I spoke to our head of, of behavioral health about this, when you become a member of something, something changes in your brain chemistry and your behavior, and you start acting differently. It's interesting. And we could probably do a whole other podcast about this and bring in some psychiatrists and behavioral health specialists to have that conversation. But generally speaking, once someone opts in and says, I'm going to become a loyalist, so they're actually making the decision. It's like when we join a frequent flyer program in the airline industry, we tend to fly that airline because we're now a member. I mean, an airline's an airline's an airline, and we could talk about some of the minor perks between them. But part of, part of this also is merchandising and packaging your services in such a way to make the, the member feel, feel special. Um, and then wrapped around that is concierge level service. And so what you're really doing is you're providing a level of service and information and navigation they otherwise would not get. And part of that is merchandising. Part of that is some hard infrastructure that you have to build. So, you know, you guys mentioned in my scope of responsibilities, contact center ops, some people are still analog and they like to talk to a human. Well, you know, for those of us that, you know, join American Express, if you have that card in your wallet, you know, member since whatever, whatever. I did it when I was in college. I've been a member ever since. If I need something done, I want get something resolved and I call that number, it always gets done. And that's that's the level of service you want. It's sort of that level of concierge uh, attention, which then creates moments of, of happiness and joy along the consumer journey because concierge service typically takes barriers out of the way. I love that too. And and one thing that really stuck out to me there, Ed, was the packaging of existing things. I think sometimes when people think about building a loyalty program, they're like, oh gosh, you know, I've got to add all these extra benefits and and I've got to really build in this this amazing program. And now it's, you know, I'm Sisyphus pushing a boulder up a hill because I might not even have the cultural endorsement to start. And so it's interesting to think about that because we've asked questions through our exploratory instruments and market insights. What would consumers want to see from a loyalty program? Turns out they don't want to be promised the world. They actually want to, well, not wait that long, um, have someone greet them and treat them like a human being, uh, maybe give them a cup of coffee if they're going to be waiting a while, know their name throughout the process. And, and, and like you said, Ed, at the end of your example, if you have issues before or, or after, you're back home and you've got some questions like most consumers do, someone to call and talk to. To me, all of those things are things that a healthcare provider should be doing anyway. It's just you've done something interesting because in my mind, by packaging those together as the easy pass, you've sort of drawn a bright line to all of those benefits that honestly people assume but, but don't often get in healthcare. Is that, is that a fair um, a description of the work you've done? Was there anything you'd add to that? That's, that's a very fair, very fair description. And I think, you know, the only, th the only other nuance I would add to it is that we're not, we're not about rewarding the member with points or rewarding them. We're, we're actually making it easier for them to navigate our complex system. And the reward they get for that is an awesome experience because we've just made it easier for them. So when you remove the friction points, we talked about those gaps, you remove those gaps and you make it easy for the, easier for the consumer to get from point A to point B and have a great outcome. 
the reward is their loyalty and their desire to actually do what you want them to do. It's kind of, it's inverse thinking to what we typically think about in terms of a loyalty program. So, so you know, we're, we're giving them what they want and in return, they're giving us their compliance, their engagement, their deeper uh, use and, and engagement with our services, which makes them a better, better uh, healthcare consumer and a healthier one to be that, to be that precise. Wouldn't we all pass on points to have a great healthcare experience, specifically because it's healthcare, right? I mean, the stakes are so much higher in healthcare, and you know that, Brian. It it's says so much more about the the traditional experience of healthcare is it, that you would forego reward or point for a better experience, something that's less confusing or has less friction. I, I think that 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 speaks volumes about the the types of care experiences that that we've had to date, right? Where we don't have something like that to sort of be be the guide through a confusing healthcare journey. So, uh, Ed, I want to I want to actually turn to to the data. You said that you you measure to manage, right? So, I know that you've kept a very close eye on this program. Uh, you need to be able to consistently defend it internally, I know, to to get resources and and expand. So, talk to us about what what are your measures of success? What what are the data sources and elements that you're looking at as as proof points as markers along this journey? Yeah, there are probably you know three three areas of KPIs. Um, so one would be the sort of the overall consumer experience KPI, and so we're using Net Promoter Score as our KPI there. And I'll tell you that we're sort of scoring in Amazon Prime territory uh, on the membership strategy in every single service line we've launched. So so we know that we're giving the consumer something they're appreciating because otherwise they wouldn't be giving us that high NPS. That's one. The next would be financial. Um, so sort of in the, the triple aim spirit of uh, service outcome and cost. On the financial side, we're looking at return on investment and we measure it a couple of ways. One is if they're fee for service, what's their spend with us like? So if they're spending more with us in a fee for service environment um, and they're engaging with us more deeply because of that, that, that's a positive ROI. Conversely, if you're in a premium based sort of category, if they're using the ER less and urgent care and primary care more for the appropriate conditions, that's a win. So that's that's a second uh, KPI. And then then third is sort of just the, the, you know, we've got service, we've got finance or cost. What was the clinical outcome? In other words, did they actually have a better outcome as a result of being a loyalist? That one, I think, is the next frontier for us. I mean, we haven't really nailed that one down, but I'll I'll tell you that that I think the beauty of where we are in healthcare now is all that data is readily available. So like in my case, when I get to the table and we start designing the consumer journey in orthopedics, we know how to pull the clinical outcome data and I can segregate loyalty outcomes versus non-loyalty outcomes and see if there's a difference. So my hypothesis, that's the last one we have to build out, is that our clinical outcomes are actually gonna be better among the loyalists versus non-loyalists. And if I prove that to be the case, then we're really going to be onto something because that that's clinical proof that this actually is compelling because that journey is more than just about the clinical acumen. It's about that holistic experience we talked about earlier. Now, what you're describing now sounds an awful lot like population health and, and <laughs> su successful management of that. I, it, I mean, really effective uh, financial outcomes, better outcomes, uh, health outcomes for the individual and a better experience along the way. Has that been piece of the internal conversation for you? I mean, have, have we, to be so bold to say, we've stumbled potentially on, on an answer for ma managing population health? 
I think so. I, mean, I think I think uh, as we go down this road of of you know owning more of the 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 consumer um, experience and the premium dollar together in one organization, which is what Pop Health partly is about, um, and managing the members' health, particularly in our case in Medicare Advantage, where you know there's there's significant financial risk on the table because if you don't do a good job of managing your population of Medicare Advantage members, you will not succeed. I mean, that's just kind of, it's, it's that black and white in terms of the, the, the P&L. And so we have to figure this out. And so it's, it's, it's critical in my view, partly to our success in our insurance play. Um, but I think even if the organizations on this, listening to this podcast aren't necessarily in the insurance business, yes, I, yet I still think it's a valuable and important investment to make because eventually, you're going to have to figure out as you're taking risk contracts how to do this, um, and it's just sort of the nature of where the industry is going. So it's almost it's almost a requirement to figure this out. And it's so interesting because we know over the years people have struggled with population health. They've struggled to achieve this, and I think what happens that's the opposite of what you've done, Ed, at Baycare, is that a lot of people put that patient experience first, and they would actually put outcomes first. And then when outcomes aren't where they need to be, it creates this, this level of frustration that reverberates around all of their initiatives. And, and again, it's sort of that black hole approach that just swallows them up, and they're not able to think creatively. Whereas you've put outcomes last. If we do these other things, if we sort of recognize consumers for what they are, which they have the ability to choose, we make it so they choose us, we provide provide value and benefits, and we engage them when they do, then it turns out they're healthier, they have better outcomes, and they're more likely to come back to us, which are all the things that people want to do on the front end. And, and it makes me think about other industries, which I know is part of your inspiration, Ed. You know, I think about Southwest Airlines. They don't show ads of people on planes. They show people wanting to get away. It's that first inkling of a trip. It's that idea that my bags fly free, which was so clever, right? It could have been just a line item in their strategic report. They turned it into a two-year ad campaign that was engaging. Or I think about Nike. Nike doesn't talk about the technology within their shoes. They show someone running, jumping, being alive. And so you've been able to do that, in my mind, in healthcare, and it's so unique. But, of course, there's always pressure to do more. I'm sure you face that. Okay, now what, Ed? And for others who are listening who have attempted to achieve just anything on the level of this, where is this going next? You know, if we were to borrow from other industries who have a much longer attempt at this and have had more experience, where should healthcare go next to encourage loyalty? I think it's building out, building out the continuum. So, so you know, one area that I think um, we're exploring and others probably are doing it at various levels is complementary medicine. So, you know, one of the things that I incorporated personally in terms of managing my situation was massage therapy. And I was a pretty avid fan and user of massage therapy. That's not a service that healthcare organizations typically provide because it's not reimbursed through insurance. But I think, you know, as you asked the question, I think where we need to go is figuring out how to add these complementary services to the membership strategy that are, that are um, accretive to the consumer's health and their loyalty to the organization. And so complementary medicine is one of those things um, that we're gonna be working on. I mean, it's, you know, it's, some organizations are further along than others and we're probably a little bit behind based on what I know where some other systems are in this space, but we're, we're gonna lean in on it. And I think, I think it's going to become part of our lexicon in terms of how we engage the consumer. And, you know, consumers, it's, it's really interesting. We've done some initial research. I don't know if you guys have nationally around alternative and complementary medicine, but it's amazing how much it's penetrated the consumer space in the States. 
and I was surprised when I saw it. I didn't realize how deeply um, it's embraced. And then we presented a white paper to our board. And I got to tell you, you know, from all the board meetings I've been in, this was the most engaged topic that's been on the board agenda over the last couple of years. They were all in and they were all in because they all use alternative medicine. It's fascinating. I mean, who, who knew? And it, but but there's, a, there's a phrase in Six Sigma and it's designing to spec. And if you design to the spec of the consumer, that, that's, that's, that's the point you were making is that's the beginning of the journey. What do, they, what do they really want from you? And if you can meet that need and that want, you're, you're going to have a very powerful strategy around loyalty. Yeah, that, that's interesting. And couldn't agree more. And our data would suggest that that, that is correct. Uh, consumers tell us with they react very positively to organizations that have developed an ecosystem in their favor. So it's not just about uh, you have complementary medicine, you have food services, you have wellness services, you have you have things like that that can all be associated with a loyalty program or a health system brand. And all the while, it, it keeps giving and building credit to that health system brand for helping to manage and create this ecosystem, all for the benefit of you and I, right, of the, exactly. of the consumer. And I think that's something that that uh, that consumers really thirst for. And and it, it's really it, it's I mean it's sort of a big wide open swimming pool right now in in the health system space, right? With with only a couple of folks in it. And and I, I think that's something that you know as we think about how to how to get more of your peers in the pool, right? How, how as you think about paying it forward in terms of lessons learned, you're a pioneer in the space. You, you've, you've, you've taken the leap. I'm sure some things have not gone to plan. Um, maybe share for the benefit of, of everybody listening and watching. Now, what's one thing that, that went exceedingly well that, that wasn't according to plan that sort of surprised or impressed you? And, and then what's, what's maybe something to avoid? Yeah, I think so. One thing that surprised and impressed me was that how open the physician community was to giving this a shot, you know, because we needed the physician practices to agree that this is something that they're willing to do. And so having their buy-in, I think, was a key win for us. And then also having, as, as I said earlier, the backing of my boss um, in the C-suite to say, you've got enough room to go try this thing. And so those are probably two key key things is building a constituency that's willing to work on the use case with you. And so if you've got a constituency that's willing to work on the use case and you can, you can align all the resources you need, you know, from the IT division, from uh, finance, from certainly your own marketing division and, and have those forces aligned, that, that's probably something that you need to do before you go down the road. Um, so that, that, those, that was a pleasant surprise, just how well that was received and uh, they continue to be fully engaged. In terms of uh, difficulties, you know, as I said, having IT aligned, they have to be aligned. And one of the difficulties we have, have had is in, you know, being able to manage the membership data. And so you've got to have a really tight IT strategy behind that. And so your backend has to be built out and everything has to be working really, really well. So, so that took some tenacity on our part, to be honest, but we got it done. But that's one of the things you have to be tenacious about is making sure that all of your backend processes are tight because otherwise you won't have success. And we had to, we had to really work at it. That was a lesson learned. 
I think it's so it's so interesting because you know the physicians and IT are kind of the pillar and the post sometimes of of stakeholders that you have to work with and and if you don't you know as as innovative and amazing the idea might be it, it never gets to ground it never it never happens and again all of what you're talking about and describing it is music to consumers ears we know this through our research and I think it's so fascinating because what we're hearing about EasyPass is is not as much I think the patient experience is at the core of it but if if I'm offered massages or other wellness services or a mental health prof professional or a virtual you know, telemedicine event, I could have all these experiences as a BayCare EasyPass member and not set foot in a building that says BayCare on it. And so, you know, what, was that part of the strategy? Was that initially part? Was it something that sort of came to fruition and presented itself later on? I mean, we've talked in other interviews about the importance of having a virtual brand and not just focusing on the physical brand that most in healthcare are just obsessed with that. Ha has that been part of the approach? And have you seen that sort of culminate through this process? Well, it's been part of the approach and we've been layering, layering on each of these components as we go because you can't, you can't bite off the whole apple You've got to do it in, in chunks, literally. And so you've got to sort of define your scope and make sure you're very tight on scope, get that scope done, and then you go to the next scope and you go broader and broader. So that's, that's one process thing that I would share. Um, and then, you know, the other thing that frankly kind of supercharged some of this stuff, I think, was the pandemic and the fact that we have got, we have, we've all gone more virtual. I mean, look at us here. Um, so, right. so as a result, the consumer, while we were certainly in the telehealth space, I mean, everyone knows this in our, in our industry. It just went to, to, to 90 miles an hour overnight. And we sort of now settled in in a steady, steady state, I think. But I think, I think the idea that we're virtual uh, in our healthcare strategy as much as bricks and mortar has to be something we all work on because that is where we're heading, no question. Well, that's very terrific. Uh, we appreciate your insight so much. Would like to thank Dr. Ed Rafalski, Chief Marketing Strategy Officer for BayCare Health System for joining us on Patient No Longer Podcast. Thank you so much, Ed. You're welcome, and my dogs concur again. There you go. Great timing. <laughs> it's a great sign-off. Thank you, Ed. Thank you. Thank you.